Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. What a precious Savior and Redeemer. If anyone's here that's in need of a copy of the notes, uh, just kindly raise your hand if you like. If you want to follow along that way, you certainly can. You got your Bible ready out there? Let's hold them to heaven and say, thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank God for his holy written word. Today I want to share with you about the impact of the resurrection. But before we begin, just quickly, if you weren't here Friday night for the Good Friday service, you might want to get a copy of that CD. Because the way you really appreciate the resurrection is when you understand what he was resurrected from. And in short, The Bible says that when he died on Calvary's cross, the fullness of the wrath of God was placed upon him. So fierce that he says all the waves of God's wrath were poured on him. And once he made that sacrifice, then God raised him from the dead. So that's just a a little bit about what we talked about. Pick up a CD and get the full import of what he was raised from. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read some verses here first and foremost. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. There was a Buddhist living in Africa who was converted to Christianity. He was asked what made him change his faith. His response was like this. If you were walking along and you came to a fork in the road and there were two men there at the fork, one was dead and one was alive, whose directions would you follow? I think that kind of says it all, doesn't it? You're not going to follow a dead religion when you can follow the living Christ. And so he was so impacted and so moved and so shaken to the core as far as his religious convictions were concerned, that he became a born-again Christian, accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. Today I want to really target that subject, the impact 
that the resurrection has had upon the world that we live in today and the impact that it should have on our lives individually. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Now let's just continue on and read a few more verses before we get into it. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is, be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of men, of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. If there is no resurrection, there's no reason to be here. Paul went on to say, if there is no resurrection, eat, drink, and be merry. Go about your way. Do what you want. Because when you're dead, you die. You're annihilated. You're in a state of non-existence. But that's not true. Beloved, we are living in the land of the dying. And when we die, we go to the land of the living. Where do you want to live forever? In the presence of God and peace, enjoying comfort throughout eternity? Or in discomfort in a place you don't want to see or know about? Thank God he's alive. And he proved to have power over death, hell, and the grave. Praise God. First of all, the impact. Our world. Acts chapter 17. How did he impact the world at that particular time? Acts 17. Look at verse 5. We're going to read 5 through 9. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain, I love this, I love this phrase, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Kind of wonder who they might be. Some shady characters. And gathered a company and said all the city on an uproar. And assaulted the house of Jason. And sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not. They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Jason means healer, by the way. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Now we got the government involved. Saying that there is another king, a political leader, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. The resurrection of Jesus impacted the world that they lived in as a matter of fact the word there talks about the world meant the whole earth everywhere they went there was an uproar disorder brought to the place the city the kingdom it affected politics governments and so on as a matter of fact it was so impacting that they disturbed kingdoms and created innovation, innovative ways in which they served God, in which they worshiped God. And so this was no small thing that took place in Jerusalem. This is 17 years later. If you look at the book of Acts, each chapter is like a year. 17 years later, it's still creating an uproar. There's still a residual effect. Things are happening in that part of the world 
Jesus is being preached that he rose from the dead and it had no small impact among all the different people and people groups and their governments. The impact was astounding. The physical world, the physical world was impacted also. Look in the book of Matthew's gospel. The physical world, if you recall, before he died, the Bible says that it was darkened from 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, the world was dark. It was dark. You couldn't hardly see. You could hardly see. Now, your skeptics say it was a solar eclipse. Anybody here know how, how long a solar eclipse lasts at the most? Shout it out if you know the answer. Seven minutes and 31 seconds. In the year 2186, I think it'll be seven minutes and 29 seconds. Don't you just love these skeptics? It was a solar eclipse. For three hours, that would be a greater miracle. For three hours, they don't last that long. Some last four minutes, five minutes, but the most seven, seven minutes and 31 seconds. For three hours, it became darker with the face of the earth. Then behold, after Jesus died, the veil of the temple was written twain from top to bottom. The earth did quake, the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. This is the night of the living dead. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves. Hollywood tries to do this, but Jesus did it in reality. And what did they do after his resurrection? They went to the holy city, they appeared to many. And when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, the darkness, the earthquake and the, the temple being destroyed, all that, those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly this was the son of God. The one that stood there, the one that killed him, the one possibly put the spirit aside. All of a sudden, the natural world in which we live was impacted by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And look at chapter 28. Also, when he was raised up from the dead, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And if you study this out, you find out it was hurled so far away from the tomb opening that they knew it was impossible for any one human being to do it. It had to be some kind of angelic force or some kind of uh, divine power that did it. Because you see, all they had to do is just prove, well, see, the stone was moved over here. No, it was moved so far away. If you recall the story, the angel sat like on the stone like this, looking at the guards that were there. They couldn't question it. They knew it weighed 4,000 pounds. I mean, you might be able to bench a lot, but 4,000 pounds? So in other words, the natural world that was affected by the fall of man, when man fell in the very beginning, it brought upheaval to every realm of life. Every realm of life was affected. The animal kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, the kingdom that we live in, the physical world that we live in, the natural world. And on that day when he died, when he gave up the ghost, I'm telling you, all of nature rebelled. All of nature spoke. And they stood there and said, surely this must have been the Son of God. And then... Not just the physical world, but the world of time. Look in, once again, Matthew's Gospel, chapter uh, 28, verses 5 and 6. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Fear not ye, this is after the resurrection, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not there. For he is risen, as he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. Well, when they went in there, there was no one there. 
He was gone, the grave was empty, the tomb was empty. He's risen from the dead. As a matter of fact, his life so impacted this world that we live in, all of a sudden his life has become the turning point of world history. Now when we talk about date setting and that sort of thing, we talk about BC and AD. BC meaning what? Before Christ, AD meaning Anno Domini, which is in the year of our Lord. But do you know what they're trying to push for today in society today because they don't want to get anybody offended by religion? They want to change to BC to BCE, before common era, and change AD to CE, meaning common era. So BCE, before common era, CE, common era. But the irony of it is this, the common era means the time of Christ's birth. They're just hiding it. It's crazy what, what's happening in our world today. Before Christ and in the year of our Lord. In other words, what he did in his life was so impacting in our world that we now set time based on his birth. When he came into the world and intruded to this life in which we live. You talk about impacting the world? The resurrection did that. You know, you don't hear anything like, well, before Buddha. Before Confucius. In the year of moon, Krishna. Do you hear any of that? No, it's before Christ, the year of our Lord. That's how we tell time. And then thirdly, the, the, the religious world. The religious world, look at Matthew 27, 51. We go back there. This is very significant. We're talking the religious world. People today, they say there's many ways that lead to the Lord. <laughs> Only one leads to life. All the others lead to death. Remember that, and here's why. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain or torn in two from top to bottom. And the rocks, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which were slept arose and came out of the graves and after his resurrection and went into the holy city, appeared to many. Now with the centurion, once again, and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done they truly feared greatly and saying truly this must be the son of God okay what significance does this have you have to understand Judaism was the religion of the day Judaism only had the real and true living God the temple was a place where he was in the holy of holies where God's presence was in manifestation and the only way to approach that presence would be once a year by the high priest on the day of atonement where he can go in to the holiest place of all but not without blood he had to take the blood of the animal sacrifices in and there would be an audience with God for that moment he makes atonement for the sin which means to cover up their sin for one more year God set the thing in place he set in place through the Abrahamic covenant the law, the Ten Commandments, the sacrifices, the Levitical priesthood. He set the, the, the dates as far as the feast days are concerned. The different feast days, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. Then Feast of Trumpets, which is up next. And then Atonement, and then Tabernacle. All those signified God's redemptive plan for man. And they were set in place. When Jesus cried out, it is finished... It's almost as if whether it's angels, remember horses couldn't pull this thing apart. This thing was 60 feet high, the veil, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, four inches thick, and weighed anywhere from four to six tons, which is 8,000 to 12,000 pounds. 
Want to flex your muscles? When it was ripped from top to bottom, it was like God was saying, it is finished. What's finished? The Abrahamic covenant, the Levitical priesthood, the Passover is fulfilled. You read Genesis 49, 10, it says, all that will be in place until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is a, is a prophetic name of the Messiah. And Shiloh came, and Shiloh was their Passover. And Shiloh was their unleavened bread. And Shiloh was the first fruits offering. And Shiloh was the one that sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And Shiloh's going to blow the trumpet, and we're going to get raptured out of here someday, praise God. He was their atonement. He made the atonement with his blood. And he tabernacles in our hearts right now, but one day he will literally come and tabernacle with man on earth. That will happen. When that thing was ripped in twain, it meant that's it. It's over. It's done. You realize the temple was overthrown in AD 70? You realize there's not been a high priest in Israel for all these years? You realize there's not a red heifer, there's not a sacrificial lamb that they can offer right now? It's impossible because you've got to do it as Jerusalem in the temple, and there is no temple, and there's no priesthood. You want to know why there's no priesthood? The last high priest would have been John the Baptist, but they beheaded him. But you see, God always wins because next in line is Jesus of Nazareth, the high priest of our redemption. Think about it. That's why that's all done. Judaism's, again, complete. He fulfilled all of it. And you know what? When the new temple is built and we're going to start offering sacrifices again, guess how long it will last? Three and a half years done but there won't be any Shekinah glory there because God went back to heaven to the high court so religion is is really inept you need reality you got to have reality the resurrection of Jesus alive in your heart and that's what he came to do and that's exactly what he did so he fulfilled all the sacrifices and thank God because of his resurrection We can have reality with him. Next, the political world. The political world was rocked also. I can almost see this. They're scurrying about. What they want to do is hide the resurrection. Hide it. Don't let people know about the resurrection. Really. Really. You think that's going to happen? You say, well, there was no telephone. I understand that. There was no telegraph. I understand that. There was no television. Right. So Jesus told a woman. He said, Mary, go tell my brethren. And that started the whole ball rolling. Oh, help me, Lord, today. Let's read Matthew 27, 66. Hmm. The political world was impacted. So they went and made the sepulcher sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now what this is talking about is the Roman seal. Not only was he in the tomb, not only was a 4,000 pound stone placed in front of the opening, now you've got the seal of the Roman government and empire and you've got four quaternion of soldiers, which means 16, four, four, 
four, four, back to back, standing every six hours, a 24 hour period, watching over the tomb so that they see to it that no one comes like a disciple. First of all, they're cowards anyhow. They wouldn't go near the place to see to it that nobody steals the body out of the tomb. And then they come up and concoct this idea of a resurrection from the dead. And so you've got to understand the power of the Roman seal and the government. And you've got to understand how, okay, they think they're so big, so special. You know, they, they rule everything. And so there it is. There's the setting. And there they are. They're watching Friday night. They're watching Saturday. Watching. Everything is fine. Well, Sunday comes. Oh, Friday was here, but Sunday came, praise God. And when Sunday came, those soldiers were all there. They weren't asleep. They were watching. You know why they were watching? Because if you are a Roman soldier, you're assigned to such an important thing to do. Then if you failed and you fell asleep, you were taken out, sometimes skinned, burned, beheaded, crucified, upside down. You wouldn't even consider closing your eye during that time. And so what happens is the earth begins to quake. Probably some angels come down. They hurl that thing like it's just a little chip it goes flying. The earth begins to quake. They're stunned. They see the glory. You realize that stone wasn't removed for Jesus to come out. It was removed for us to get in. He could come out because he could go through the walls with his glorified body. So boom, it lands. And there they are. And the angels are just on top of the stone looking at them like, what are you going to do now? They fear now for their lives and they run. Where do they go? To the priests. You know why they go to the priests? Because go talk. Go talk to the government. Go talk to the king. Go talk to Pilate. Go talk. Tell them we didn't do it. We didn't fall asleep. They don't want to die. So what do they do? They give them money. Come up with a story. Just we'll verify it. They came and stole the body. You know, we'll see to it that we have your back. Beloved. I want you to know something. The Roman seal could not keep him in the grave. The government couldn't keep him in the grave. Politics couldn't keep him in the grave. Devils, demons, cultures, nothing could keep him in the grave. Not even religion. He came out. He emerged. And you talk about upheaval to the governments. You know what? He ordained all governments and all governments will bow. And when you read in the scriptures where it talks about and they bow before him, I'm telling you every government will bow, will bow before the king of kings and the lord of lords and one day say you are the lord of all. Governments, politics right now are trying to snuff out what we believe in. But let me tell you something. Don't be silent. Lift up your voice on high and declare he's alive. He's risen from the dead. He's my savior, my redeemer. And this nation is going back to where we once were. Believing that Jesus is Lord over the United States of America. Hallelujah. Now, next, the world of culture. Look at these verses of scripture. It did change the, the, the culture of the world. Look at the book of Acts 19. They were living their lives, doing their own thing. They were involved in witchcraft, spiritualism, all kinds of different things were going on during that particular time. Many different kind of beliefs like people have today. They believe in this, believe in that. Believe. You know what? Would you want to believe in a, in, a, in a religion that tells you when you come back, you might be a toad or a frog? Yeah, I'm in for that one. Count me in. Or a butterfly. What about a mosquito? Boom. I can't wait. Just can't wait. Yeah, that's me. I want to be that. Or would you rather believe 
praise God, in a, in a reality of a religion that tells you he died for, you don't have to die for him. He died for you. You don't have to cut yourself for him. He cut himself for you. And because he did, when he raises you up, he's going to raise you up to be like him. Not a bug, but like him. Because as he is, so are you in this world. Can you say amen? If you got hope, it's got to be in him. So all these people involved in all the religious ideas and all their spiritualism, witchcraft, all their, look at this. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver back then. Okay, so they stopped their witchcraft. They stopped all their incantations and all the different things they were practicing in their culture. And they brought them and they magnified the name of Jesus. Look at the next one. Go on down a little bit further in that same chapter. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way, which is Christianity. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, who was the, the, the god of the uh, Ephesians, brought no small gain into the craftsmen. Look at that. No small gain. means that was his income. That was his livelihood. This is how they made their money. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that this craft we have our wealth. By this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, saying that there be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship it. You know what that's talking about? Economic decline. They lost their livelihood. They're making all these, these idols for Diana and all their son. That's how they live. That's their livelihood. That's how they feed their families and all that. And not just at Ephesus, but the, it's spreading throughout the whole world. It's reverberating throughout the whole world. The whole culture was affected by the resurrection of the dead. Sometimes I think we think 2,000 years later, this was a little thing that happened in a corner somewhere. Are you kidding me? It got dark. The earth quaked. The rocks rent. The graves were open. People came out. Grandma came out that was dead 300 years and said, Hi, son. How you doing? In Jerusalem, that happened. This was not hidden. This is not a secret. It was not in darkness somewhere. It affected their culture, their city, affected their kingdom. It affected their everything, their culture, their religion. People started saying, forget Diana. Jesus is alive. He's Lord of all. We now know the living God. Do you see what happened? You see the impact, the impact of the resurrection. Now, what about the last thing? Secondly and last. Second. What about my world? What about your world? I want to challenge us right now. What about the world of the individual human being? You sitting out there right now. How has the resurrection impacted your life? In what way has it impacted you? Well, let's start with, first of all, someone by the name of Doubting Thomas. And do you know the Bible doesn't call him Doubting Thomas? That's a name we've made up for him because he wanted to see Jesus resurrected from the dead before he would believe in Jesus, right? So we call him Doubting Thomas. I want to show you how Doubting Thomas really was. I understand what happened with Doubting Thomas. I understand that... Um, when Jesus was raised from the dead and he appeared to the other disciples, that he wasn't with them. And because he wasn't with them, 
He didn't believe their report. How about that? They're all his buddies, but they won't believe, he won't believe them. They believed because they saw Jesus. So they weren't in his shoes or sandals. So, he says, unless I stick my finger into the imprint, the, the, the nail hole in his hands, which really probably the wrist, and except I put my finger into his, his side. In other words, if I don't see him with my two eyes, if I don't feel him with my hands, I will not believe. You've got to love this about the Bible. It is so genuine. It hides nothing. It tells you exactly how Peter denied the Lord three times, does it not? It tells you their faults, their flaws, their failures, and everything else, does it not? But here's Thomas, I will not believe. I will not believe. There's no way I'm going to believe you, Peter, Bartholomew, Judas, Matthias. I'm not going to believe any one of you, Philip, James, John, James the Lesser, James the Greater. I'm not believing any one of you. So Jesus just kind of floats in through the wall. Stands in front of Thomas and says, Thomas, guess what? Thomas doesn't try to feel anything. He falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God, my Redeemer. Right? Absolutely. You see, seeing Jesus alive, knowing the resurrection is true, impacted him in such a way. So if you want to say that he had that smidgen of doubt at that time because Jesus said, be not faithless but believing, I wrote this down. I want you to see this. I want you to hear this. This is not just about Thomas, but this is about every disciple. Bartholomew had a change of heart. The coward became a preacher who preached all around was skinned alive and beheaded. James the lesser was stoned and clubbed to death with a fuller's club, which is what you beat your clothes with. After they threw him off a cliff a hundred foot, he hit down and he survived that. Then they got him and they stoned him and they beat him until his brains came out of his head. But guess what? All Bartholomew had to say was, I don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. I don't believe he was raised from the dead. All James had to say was, I don't believe in it. Let me go. And he would have been free. And then you've got Andrew, who was crucified upside down. But notice, he was tied, not nailed, to the X-shaped cross. Why? To live longer. It would take longer to die than if he was nailed. He would live longer. And it says, tradition says, while he was there on that cross, he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ to every passerby that was there. I want this to impact our hearts in such a way to challenge us. How are we living for Jesus? Look at the next one. Judas Iscariot committed suicide. You know his story. Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't feel worthy to, to suffer death the same way his Lord did. John, the beloved, you've got to love John. He says, I'm the one he loved. I'm the one Jesus loved. Don't you love that about John? You know, I'm the one that had my head on his bosom. He, I'm the one that he really loved. And Peter said, what's he going to do? And what did, what did Jesus say? Peter, mind your own business. What is it to you if he lives forever? Till I come, just do what I tell you to do. Tradition says, they threw him into a vat of boiling oil. But guess what? He didn't burn. He was brought out of it. They looked at him and said, we can't kill you. So they exiled him to Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. I guess if you can't kill him, you got to just get rid of him. Exile him. That's what they did. Okay, that was John. 
But all he had to do to stop from going into the boiling oil vat was what? I don't believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And then you've got Thomas, who we just talked about. Thomas, this Thomas, he went about preaching and teaching Jesus even as far as Ethiopia. And he just went around, all around, preaching and teaching, boldly declaring and proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord of all. And Thomas was impelled by a spear, actually one said four spears. Philip was crucified. Matthew was burned to death. Jude was sawed and axed to death. Simon the zealot was sawed and axed to death, which either means, you know, by interpretation, whether they have a saw like you have a saw today, but he, they, got an, they cut his body to shreds. Guess what? All they had to say was, I don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't believe he was raised from the dead. Let's squash this Christianity right now. And they would have been spared that kind of a death. But you see, the resurrection was so real, vivid in their hearts and minds. How can I deny it? Take my life if you want to. How can I? I will never deny. I'll never recant. I saw him with my own two eyes. He's alive. Then you got oh, this one, the apostle Paul. Look at Acts chapter 9. I want to read this one. The notes are in there, the, the scriptures for Thomas. But look at this. Saul of Tarsus, real quick, if you don't know who Saul of Tarsus was, he became the apostle Paul. But while he was Saul of Tarsus, he was a Jew of the Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He just really was so proudful and prideful for who he was in his religious faith. And he was so zealous to destroy Christianity. He hated Jesus Christ. When I tell you hated there is no one more zealous to destroy Christianity than Saul of Tarsus. Saul means destroyer. And Saul of Tarsus set out, papers in his hands. He is going to see to it. He was hailing men and women into prison, having them beheaded if they say they believe in the resurrection or if they believe in Christ Jesus as Lord. That was his life mission. And he was a zealot. When I tell you he was sent out, he was going everywhere. They say, tradition says, and we believe, that when Stephen, the first martyr, was, was killed, stoned to death, they brought his clothes and presented him to Saul of Tarsus. We're doing your job. This is what you want done. So here's a man who hates Christ Christianity, hates Jesus, and is doing everything in his power to kill it, snuff it out, nip it in the bud, so to speak, so it won't grow. Wow. Well, he's on his own way and he's on the Damascus road and let's read it Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went into the high priest desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that he found any of this way whether they were men or women he might bring them bound into Jerusalem and as he journeyed he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him Saul, Saul why persecutest thou me? He said who art thou Lord? And the Lord said I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said Lord what will you have me to do? And the Lord said to him arise and go to the city it'll be told thee what thou must do. Saul of Tarsus who hated Christ who hated Christianity who set out to destroy it 
when he saw the resurrected Christ on the Damascus road, praise God, had a 180. You talk about a one. He's, he, they would excommunicate him from his Judaism, from his synagogue. He didn't care. You want to know why I, you heard me say this, I believe that Jesus' suffering was more than just crucifixion. People don't know this. He was crucified. He was scourged once and crucified. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the builder, not the destroyer, five times scourged. There's an article out there on the desk. You can pick it up for yourself. Read about scourging. It leaves you in such a way you're so emaciated that it could, you could see your internal organs hanging out of your body. That's how bad it was. That's why there was only 39 stripes, not 40, because 40 meant you were dead. And so Jesus, yes, he, he suffered that, but Paul suffered it five times times. Imagine yourself against the whipping post once and having your body shredded. Some, in some cases eyes are pulled out. You can read the article. You can see it. But Paul, Saul of Tarsus became Paul five times. Can you imagine going through it the second time? After having gone through it the first time? And then the third time? And then the fourth time? And then the fifth time? And by the way, it gets a little easier. Next time they just beat him on the bottom of his feet with rods so he couldn't walk and preach the gospel so yes Jesus was scourged and died by crucifixion but Paul five times scourged three times beaten with rods left in the sea for dead stoned to death I mean the list goes on Jesus incurred the wrath of God that Paul could never and you and I if we would incur that we'd be in in the lake of fire forever but Jesus took that upon himself and he died for us in our place and he took that punishment upon himself so you and I can be free from it. What would cause a man who is so adamantly opposed to Christianity to turn around like that and start serving the one he wanted to kill? The resurrection. The impact of the resurrection turned his life upside down or right side up, if you will. And finally you got this eunuch. This eunuch... In Acts chapter 8, Philip, you know the story. Goes down to Samaria, preached Christ to them. The people give heed to the things he spoke and seeing the miracles that he did. Unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of men that were possessed with them. And those who were taken with the palsy and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And when they believed pre- uh, Philip preaching the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. And it goes on to say that after he got done with that baptism uh, service, that Philip opened his mouth. He, he, he gets caught away by the spirit. He gets translocated and he goes to where this eunuch is. Then this eunuch is riding on his horse and he's talking about, he's confused about what he's reading. Philip opens his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached to him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water and eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from to, to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all your heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. This eunuch was a, Ethiopian eunuch and he was a part of the high court official of of Candace who was the queen at that particular time and this particular individual was curious about what he was reading about Isaiah he was reading Isaiah 53 and the impact it had on his life was amazing why am I pointing these out you know why because we're living in such a society today right now all we want in our Christian walk for the most part many people is yeah, I made Jesus my Lord, and then just live the way you want to live and do what you want to do and act the way you want to act and behave the way you want to behave. Can you imagine standing here and saying, someone saying to me, 
deny Christ or I'm going to skin you alive. Have at it. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus was the most important event to ever occur in human history. And yes, it has impacted the world. It's impacted the way we, once again, tell time. It's impacted the religious world like nothing else. The political world like nothing else. Culture, the world of culture has been impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank God for all of that. But beloved, the memorial, you know what? The memorial is wonderful. We're remembering it. But the memorial does not have any impact upon our life unless we make a decision that we are going to intentionally on our own, by our own will, say, I want it to change my life. I want it. Do I believe in the resurrection? Yes. Has the resurrection impacted my life? Yes. How has it changed my life? I know how it's changed my life. I was steeped in religion before I came to Christ. And when I got born again, I came out of that religious shell. And I came into the light of light. And I set myself apart. I left the world behind. I went to serve Jesus. I went off to Bible school. I'm here serving him right now. You know why? Because the resurrection has impacted my life like it did those disciples that saw him. And beloved, today... I, my, this is my, my heart's cry. May we all evaluate ourselves, our lives, and ask ourselves the question, would I be willing to die just like they died for Jesus? Is it impacting my life, my lifestyle, my conduct, my character, my speech, my words? Is it impacting the way I treat other people, where I work in the workplace? Is the resurrection impacting me in such a way that I become a shining light in the world of darkness? And they can see the light of Christ in me. That's the question. It won't happen because we're just, just going to go through the memorial of it. It'll happen because of our intentional application of these blessed truths. Amen. I pray your heart got stirred this morning. I do. I really do. Because nothing else is more important. He can come tonight. Come on up here, praise and worship team. Praise God. We're not going to go through this celebration with just, oh, yeah, we're going to have the Lord's Supper again this morning. Oh, let me tell you something. I want us all to sink into ourselves and, and ask yourself the question. As you prepare, as we prepare for this Lord's Supper, am I living my life with the same fervency of spirit like they did? Or am I just going about and saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, and then living the way I want to live and doing what I want to do? Beloved, I pray that we would all be encouraged this morning and inspired to do a self-evaluation and say that if he died the death that he died for me to spend my eternity with him, then I am committing myself to live for him the way he wants me to. Before he left, Jesus said these words, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? I want to be a wise man. What about you? I want to do what he says. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. 
We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.